Have you ever looked around your business and thought to yourself, is this it? Are you making money, but yet you want more? Or maybe you have ideas in your head, but you're just not sure how to develop them into a revenue stream. Welcome to the Caged Vision Podcast with Carrie Roan and Lisa Beck, where we help you unlock your business potential and scale your business beyond trading time for money. Each week, you'll hear ideas, interviews, and case studies of others who, like you, are subject matter experts and want more from their business. Let's do this. Hey everyone, Carrie Rome and Lisa Beck, and we are here. We're doing a special introduction to a three-part series with my friend, our friend, John Mejia. He is a real estate investment guy who has just got an amazing story that he has poured his heart into, and episode one is just... Oh my gosh. It talks about his early childhood in New York, where he grew up, and sort of how this Oh gosh, this feeling of success that he was going to be successful. He was going to do it. He was going to do it. Did, did it make you feel like a pansy? Completely mm-hmm. made me feel like yeah. a pansy. Yeah, I'm like, okay. You know, I'd cry because I had something. My world has changed. I did not have troubles. Oh, no, 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 no. I haven't overcome anything. Yeah. No, yeah. we have not. No. Not only do we not have first world problems, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. just we're at the picky princess level problems, right? We are extremely excited for you to listen to this episode one. Download it, subscribe. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Caged Vision Podcast. This is Carrie Rome and my guest today is John Mejia. John is a pilot. He's an entrepreneur. He's a real estate investor. And just really, really, it's got an amazing story. I cannot to share it. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. For you listeners, here's what we're going to cover. We're going to get three takeaways. Number one, he has been in the ring. He knows what it's like to overcome. So we're going to talk about that. Second, he has developed methods and practices that he uses to be successful. And third, John genuinely feels a calling to attract and motivate people who want to better themselves. John and I were working together this week, and John told me something that really, really jumped out at me. And this is a direct quote. He said, I don't want to die with my story not being told because I think I can inspire people to create and control the outcome of their life. So, John, welcome to the Cage Vision Podcast. I'm super excited that you're here. Fill in the gaps. What did I miss? Just a little bit of a background bio before we jump into your story. Anything you want to add? Like you said, I I got this burning desire to tell my story. Uh, I sometimes just sit back and just take it all in, and it's amazing. You know, just being uh, that kid, you know, coming through, you know, JFK when I was a little kid, when I came to the U.S. as a just as a little immigrant, you know, just a family man, no, nothing attached uh, to, to this country, just America. And and walking through the jetway of JFK and watching the picture of Ronald Reagan saying, you know, welcome to America. You talk about that. And as you tell the story, I, I want to let the listeners know that I have counted on my hand. I have to go to the, my second hand to count the number of times that John has had caged vision, 
Uh, and by that, I mean, he has had a vision that he knew he had to follow, but it took him a while. He had to struggle through how to make it happen. And by sharing his stories, we hope you're going to learn something. So let's jump into that first story, which John already started, which is moving here and walk me through. You're walking through JFK. You mentioned looking at that picture of Ronald Reagan and thinking, I think you told me that you thought the streets were paved in gold. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. My uncle used to visit. And when I used to look at his shoes, you know, his soles, and I saw these sparkles in it. And I thought, wow, America, a land of opportunities, streets made of gold. And when I came here to the U.S., I was walking through the jetway, and I just got out of this airplane, and I just started, I just felt with emotion when I saw the picture of Ronald Reagan. It's a welcome to America. It's like, wow, I'm here. And, and I started crying as a kid, tearing up. I was like, this is amazing. What a great dream I'm in, and this is awesome. I just cannot explain the excitement that I had, you know, as a kid, coming to this great, awesome nation. So tell me what happened next. So my parents, which I haven't seen in a few years, you know, they took me in the subway in the train, which I've never ridden before. And, and, and it was cold November 2nd afternoon and it was sun setting already. And, I, and it was so cold. I've never experienced cold like that. And, and everything was just like a big picture of arriving in the U.S. And here we are, you know, taking the train and heading to the apartment in, in Manhattan. And as we got there, you know, I didn't realize, but it was a very small, I mean, it was a, an efficiency apartment, very small in 149th Street and Broadway. And life just started happening after that. I mean, obviously, I didn't speak the language. All I knew was just two words, you know, rooster and tape. That's it. Huh. Where did you move from? So my family came out from Europe and they moved. My dad, he was a, a mechanic for Volkswagen Company in Bani, which is near the Dominican, it's right there in the Dominican Republic, small island of Española, which divides Haiti and the Dominican. Okay. And there was a small Spanish settlement down in there in Bani, and that's where we lived. Okay. So I came to this great, you know, town, and I'm seeing these tall buildings, you know, just totally, totally, totally different. But little did I know that my big dream, this American dream that I was dreaming, will turn into a big nightmare. As soon after that, I, unfortunately, like a year later, my parents got divorced. Is that when the nightmare started? That's when the nightmare started. You know, my parents haven't seen them in a few years, obviously. Here we are reunited again. And my dad, you know, my mom, you know, things just, they were just not good. So within a year, uh, they, they were divorced. My dad disappeared. I didn't know where he was for two years. Uh, you know, I, my mom, here's a young, you know, 33-year-old woman, you know, just kind of lady with, with three young kids in a foreign nation and, and not knowing the language, you know, trying to make ends meet. Where did you fit into the pecking order of the children? I'm the oldest. We're all a year apart. When your father disappeared, when he left, did you feel the burden of responsibility to carry some of that male figure responsibility? Absolutely. I, I felt that, you know, I had to step it up. And, you know, as a kid, you know, you hear you are, you know, you're 10 years old. And it's like, you know, well, what do you do? And in 11, I mean, you're just a child. And not having, you know, obviously going to school, not having, you know, uh, your mom, you know, she couldn't buy shoes and, you know, and, and, and I mean, it was tough. I mean, I, I actually, I used to work at, in, a, in, a, in a grocery store down 
down below our building, but I used to work in the basement because I was not allowed to work. I was not 15, so the owner would pay me 20 bucks every two weeks. Wow. And that's how I bought my clothes and my sneakers. Sorry. Um, those were tough, tough, tough times. Uh, and as a kid, you know, you know, it, it just... You just wanna, you just wanna do, you know, you just wanted to be presentable and 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 do and, and provide and and but it's only so much, you know, you know, you know that, that will go around. But my mom, you know, obviously, you know, did what she could. She made some many, she made bad choices, you know, and uh, and it affected us. And um, and um, we lived in a very tough area. I mean, uh, 1980, you know, 1980s, uh, early 80s, and in, in, in New York City was not was not fun. I mean, we had gangs, we had the mafia. I mean, everything was in front of us. So you felt this responsibility to help provide, and you also felt another maybe social pressures to, which every kid does. Every kid wants to look like the next kid. You want to sort of fit in, especially when you're an immigrant. You want to try to fit in. So that right there, I don't think that many people, I know they can relate to wanting to fit in as a kid, but the burden of providing, I think that is um, that's something that's really special in your story and it's something that carries through. So sorry, sorry to interrupt. Keep going. No, no, no. You're good. I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, as a little kid, I mean, not only did I have a problem, you know, communicating, I didn't speak the, I didn't speak the language. Yeah. Um, you know, um, and you know, here I am, you know, wearing some sneakers, and not really sneakers. They're actually, I'm other sneakers, but they're like made out of uh, plastic. You know, my jacket's pleather, not leather, like some kids. So you know, you get picked on and all that, and you're like, you know, crap. I just want to. I just want to. I just want to dress like these kids so and, and be and just merge in to just just blend in um and that was tough you know but uh you know uh, as time went on you know we you know you know obviously i i, I was able to accumulate some you know some money and buy some shoes and and and, and pants and the and the lead jeans and the uh you know the, the lead tiger you know the shirt t-shirts and the adidas and the pumas and that was back then. That was that was in that, that was in style back then. It was in style now too, which is crazy. But um, so that's uh, that 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 gave me some self fulfillment and confidence, you know, at least on the outside. But internally, I was struggling with so many things. You know, my 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 family life was tough, and also the building that we actually lived in through that time, I got foreclosed and and was literally. It was abandoned, you know, for six months, there was no heat. Through the winter, I mean, talk about crackheads, drug dealers coming into the building. It was dangerous. I mean, I recall one time going to school, you know, one morning, and here there's a drug deal going on, and this dude has a gun pointing it to another guy, you know, and I'm I'm between them. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be whacked here. I'm gonna just, you know, I'm going to die in this drug deal here. And these guys were just yelling at each other, and I just started crying, like, God, please, just let me get out of here. And I, and I walked in right by the mailboxes, you know, to my right and down the, this very, you know, narrow hallway and got out and nothing happened. But bottom line is that was everyday life, you know, watching that. And what kept me straight was, you know, my, my grandmother, she was a very powerful, spiritual, you know, lady and very close to God. And, and, you know, she's always taking me to church and, and I'm always, you know, praying and, and, following her steps because, you know, she said to me, you know, one day that I will be like a tree planted along the rivers of water. Uh, leaves will never wither. 
and everything that I do, I will prosper. She spoke blessings upon me, like from Psalms, and I believed it, and I knew that I was different. Tell me about that, because you told me a story about your sister, and you still laugh about it today, about you standing up. Yeah. Tell me that story, because <laughs> it dovetails to everything, you, the background you just gave us, and when you felt motivated to start to see the vision and speak into the caged vision. Tell me that part. So, so my, my bed was the floor. Um, that efficiency apartment and that and that the the den, the kitchen all together. And I sleep on the floor from you know, from ten, eleven years old to graduate high school. And that one time there, uh, when the building was abandoned and, and and you know, we didn't have anyone the super to take care of things. The one night there were these rats that came and got in the garbage can and they were fighting and jelly and it was just crazy. New York City rats like they're like the size of cats. And one of them landed on my leg and hit me. And I just kicked that thing and it yelped and, and hit the wall. And that's all the silhouette just kind of walking and like this was a beach rat. But then, you know, we were all, you know, my sister got up and everybody, you know, just like, what's going on? And I just stood up and I was so disgusted. And I said, one day, one day, I'm going to be successful. And all of this will be a long term dream. And my sister and I would laugh about it today when she said, because you told me that, and, and I believe you, John, something about you when you said it, it just so convicted. But I felt it. I felt it. What is it that you think drove that passion? What is it that made her believe that you weren't just upset about the rat, that you, you were going to do it? She, you know, she's the youngest, and she always saw me as this, you know, uh, uh, as the uh, as the head and 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 the big brother. But she said that one day I I, I just stood up and I said it with such authority and, and raising my finger up in, in the in, up to the to the rooftop and saying this is what I'm going to do. And she said, John, the way you said that, I just believed you. So when you said I am going to be successful, what did that mean to you? That meant freedom. I am going to be wealthy one day to change my life, to change my mother, to change everybody's life, to not live in this hellhole, because that's how I felt. I felt like I was living in hell. You wanted freedom, and freedom for you probably at the time meant wealth, but would you say now that freedom is more creating, controlling the outcome of your life? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, freedom of the choices, making choices, freedom to do what I wanted to do. I mean, here I am, you know, I'm coming from, uh, came from a country, yeah, I mean, uh, we were, you know, my family migrated there from Europe, but in this country, and I was able to do everything, you know, we, we had a house, we went out to the beach, and it was just tropical, and it was great, and I mean, my, my situation was better there in a third world country than here. So take me through, you make the statement, you start to, to see the vision, it's caged, because you don't know the path yet. Tell me about the path through when you decided Syracuse is my path. So I always wanted to be a pilot as a kid. Always wanted to be a pilot. In your head, did a pilot symbolize freedom? Yes. Why? Because it was my long, long time dream. And I used to look at, you know, those pilots at the airport, you know, they, they always look so fresh and they, they look sharp. And 
obviously pilots, you know, to me, they were, they were just glorified human beings and then they have a great life. They do well financially and they get to do what they love. Did you feel like that was freedom? They could control their destiny by flying all over the world? Absolutely. You know, it's like being up in an airplane, you know, thousands and thousands of feet up in the air and just doing what you want to do. You are controlling your whole being and, and you know, going up in the air, it, it's amazing. It's, a, it's such a wonderful feeling. And, and that's what attracted me. It's like the sky, it's a limit. There's nothing like it. Oh my gosh, Lisa, I don't know if, I mean, I had to hold back like emotion significantly. It was boiling up and I was in the original. <laughs> I've heard this before. I know. And when I, when I heard it for the first time, it is overwhelming to think about what he has overcome. Such an amazing story. And the best part about this is this was only the first part of a three-part series. So next week, in part two. He's going to continue and talk about his flight school experience, his Navy experience, how he got into the business as he is in today. And there will be more emotional stories just like there were today. So make sure you come back next week. If you haven't already, please subscribe. Thank you for listening to the Caged Vision podcast. And don't forget to come back next week to hear more ideas, interviews, and case studies of others who, just like you, are subject matter experts and want more from their business. <laughs>